Will you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. A very brief message tonight from this passage dealing with the meaning of Calvary. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, someone asked before we started the service tonight, what is that? They had not been here before or seen it. I want to talk about it right now, and I hope you'll listen carefully. <clears throat> this is the ministry of the Lord's Supper. In some places they call it a sacrament. Some places it's called the Eucharist. Some places it's called the Communion. It was given by Jesus to remind us of his death on the cross until he come again. And if you look carefully at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, I want to lay six words on your heart. For I have received the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, the, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which was, he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the, the cu this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. <clears throat> Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Now the six words I want to lay on your heart are these. In verse 23, received. Verse 23, betrayed. Verse 24, body. Verse 25, blood. Verse 27 and 29, unworthily. Verse 28, examine. Now as we think of these words, <clears throat> keep in mind the Apostle Paul is writing this. He's writing to the Corinthian Christians. Now the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. If there was ever a church with problems, Corinth had it. We don't have time to go into their problems tonight, but if you want to know any problem a church could possibly have, read the book of 1 Corinthians. So Paul is saying, now I've received something that I want to give you. I was not there when this happened. I've received it as a trust. I've received it as a document. I've received it as an observation. I've received it as something that I pass on to you. You and I have done the same thing. We were not there when Jesus died on a cross. But we were there 
in spiritual commitment. Because when Jesus died on the cross, retroactively, everyone who has come to Christ since that time has received a pardon. And what we observe tonight in the Lord's Supper is the observing of a pardon. We have received a pardon from the Lord. And he goes on to say, this was the night in which the Lord was betrayed. Judas Iscariot was the betrayer, a member of the 12, a disciple, an apostle, not saved. Which reminds us, it is possible to be a church member. It is possible to be a professor of faith in Christ and not be saved. It is possible to be a preacher. It is possible to be a disciple. It's possible to be a deacon. It's possible to be an apostle and not be saved. Only our heart and God's heart know. For three years, Judas was a pretender. Now, if we read and careful, study carefully those narratives, it would seem that Jesus again and again gave Judas an opportunity to come. He went out of his way to be courteous and gracious. Even up to the very last, when he was observing the Lord's Supper, instituting this Lord's Supper, he said, one of you is to betray me. Even at that moment, Judas, who had already made arrangements for 30 pieces of silver, could have come to Jesus and said, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. But he didn't do it. It's a sobering fact. But in a given congregation, there may be some Judases. And at that, Lord's, at that last supper, when the Lord announced that, all the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? They were saying that not because they thought they were going to betray the Lord. Judas had already made those plans. They were saying it because they were so hurt and crushed. Lord, are you looking down the years and seeing that I'm going to be a betrayer? And it would behoove every one of us to say the same thing. Lord, is it I? I don't want to betray the Son of God. I don't want to sell him short. I don't want to live a, I don't want to live a tawdry, cheap life. I want to live a life that honors Christ. Lord, is it I? And then the third word I want you to notice <clears throat> is in verse 24, the word body. Jesus said, take, this is my body, which is broken for you. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He said in verse 51, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he was giving the bread of heaven for our sustenance. And when he broke that bread, he was saying, every time you break the bread, remember Jesus' broken body on the cross. Remember that he was the bread of life. And if we do not take that bread of life, we have no part in him. 
Now there's a group of Christians, or I assume they're Christians, who teach that when <clears throat> the priest blesses the bread and the cup, that that bread literally becomes the flesh of the Son of God. And when you take that piece of bread into your mouth, you're taking a piece of Jesus in your mouth. I think they misunderstand the scripture. I don't believe that's what this says. Jesus said, I am the living bread. If you read that carefully, you, you're bound to know that he's speaking spiritually and symbolically. He did not say, everybody come up here and get a chunk of my flesh and eat it. I don't mean to be ludicrous. That isn't what he said at all. He was saying this is a symbol of my broken body. And when you take that bread, you're symbolizing that you're one with Christ, that he lives inside of you, that he is real to you, and that you're living day by day by day by the bread of heaven. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. And then he says in verse 25, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The cup, and, and incidentally, try to remember this, no place that I can find in the scripture where the supper is mentioned is there said anything about wine. It says the cup. We don't use alcoholic beverages in this Lord's Supper. We use the cup, the vine, the cup of the vine. <clears throat> when I was in Israel several years ago, the guide took us through the rosy plains of Sharon. As we drove through there, we looked at all the grape fields and he rubbed his stomach and he said, this is where we make wine. And you saps in America get drunk on it. And he laughed and laughed. He didn't realize he was talking to a group of Baptists. Later that same day, we were up in northern Galilee, again driving through the grape fields. And he looked at us and he said, I want to tell you something. This is where we get our wine. But you don't get drunk on this wine. And I asked him about it. Well, he said, you in America call this grape juice. We call it wine. And all through the Bible, the word for wine and wine and wine are all the same. Just like in English, we use the word love. Sometimes we mean by that eros, physical attraction. We use the word love. Sometimes we mean fellowship kind of love. We use the word love, sometimes we meet agape, God's kind of love. And that's the way in the Hebrews and in Israel, they use the word wine to refer to the drunken wine, the liquor, and the wine that does not make you drink or drunk. And so what we use in the Lord's Supper is grape juice. And Jesus says, this is a symbol of my blood. Now I want you to notice, there are satanic religions today that cause people to drink blood. They cut their wrists and they, one of their bonds in their satanic religion is that they take that blood and drink it. Somebody else's blood, 
That's cannibalistic. The Lord never told us to do that. And when we take this cup tonight, we're not taking the literal blood of Jesus. We're symbolizing that what he did on the cross was enough to cover all of our sins. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what Calvary means. It means his body was broken on the cross for us. It means his blood was shed on the cross for us that we might be forgiven of all of our sins. Now there's another word in verse 27 and 29. That word is unworthily. I want you to notice that that's an adverb. It is not an adjective. It does not describe the person. It describes the manner. It describes how we do it. It does not describe the doing it itself. I've heard people say, well, I can't take the Lord's Supper because I'm not worthy. Who in this room is worthy? If you're worthy, stand up and tell us how worthy you are. For he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. I'm not worthy. Neither are any of the ones in this room worthy. Never has there been anybody in the 2,000 years who has been worthy of what Jesus did. Only Jesus. But he says, if you take this in an unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body, if you take it with humor, you take it with levity, you take it and say, oh, well, here they go again. We have to take the Lord's Supper. We do this every once in a while and so on. You're taking it unworthily. This means that you do not discern what we're doing. And ladies and gentlemen, I would advise everyone here to refrain from taking this supper if you do not understand what we're doing. That's the reason for this message tonight. We're here remembering the death of Jesus until he comes again. Looking back and looking forward. And then he says another word. He says, let every man examine himself. Now, if I understand this right, I'm not to examine you. I'm to examine myself. We're not to look around and say, well, I examine you and I think you're not, you're not in shape to take the Lord's Supper. I examine my own heart. Now, when we come to the Lord's Supper, there's some things we need to examine. Number one, have we been saved? Have I been saved? This is a time when I need to face that question big time. Am I sure I've been born again? Secondly, have I done what Jesus said to do after I got saved? Have I been baptized? Now, baptism doesn't get you to heaven. It's an obedience command. And interestingly enough, baptism always precedes the Lord's Supper. In the ordinances, it's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism pictures the life and death and burial of Jesus and his resurrection. It points to the redeeming work of Christ. The Lord's Supper pictures the broken body and the shed blood, the death of Christ. It pictures his redeeming work. And so when we come to this, we need to examine our heart. Am I sure I'm saved? Have I done what Jesus told me to do after I got saved? Have I been baptized? Number three, am I mad at anybody? Am I upset with somebody? Do I have a grudge in my heart against someone? We need to forgive. Number four, 
Am I in doctrinal agreement with Jesus in heaven and with the church on the earth? Am I in doctrinal agreement? Do I believe what this word teaches? That we're saved by the blood of the crucified one. We're saved once and for all. We're not saved for a few days until we sin again. We're not saved until we get out of fellowship and then we have to get saved all over again. We're saved forever. Do I agree with God on that? There are many who believe that you're saved by grace but kept by works. And they say, well, if you don't walk the straight and narrow out there all through your life, you might die and go to hell. Do you mean Jesus would have gone to the cross and tried to save me for 30 minutes? And 30 minutes after I get saved, I sin? And Jesus says, go into hell. I didn't die for those sins. This book says he died for all of our sins. Every sin is justified by what Christ did on the cross. I don't justify myself. On the same hand, on the same, by the same token, if I am saved, I want to live close to the heart of God. And when God knocks on my heart's door and makes me aware of my sin, I come back to him and I ask his cleansing and forgiveness. And this book says, when people do not do that, they're looking for judgment. And what kind of judgment? That mean hell for a lost for a saved person? A thousand times no. What it means, he went on to say, for this cause many sleep. What does that mean? It means they die and go to hell. It means they've died. God had to remove them early in life. There are four ways God deals with a sinning Christian. He hurts his heart. If we don't listen to our heart, he sends somebody to us. If we won't listen to that, the winds of affliction begin to come and chastisement. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, whereof or, or partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And fourthly, if we won't listen to any of that, 1 John 5, 16 says, there is a sin that a brother can commit unto death. I do not say you should pray for that one. Does that mean that brother goes to hell? No, a thousand times no, but God has to remove him. God has just to remove him. An early funeral. And that's what this passage is saying. Let every man examine himself. Because if we examine ourselves and we judge ourselves and we bring ourselves under the banner of the love of God, we don't have to be judged by God. Isn't that good? You don't have to be judged by God if you'll judge yourself. Every sin, every transgression must receive a just recompense and reward, but Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. But then when I get dirty again, I need a foot washing. That's what Jesus was saying in John 13. You can literally wash feet. Nothing wrong with that. But what he meant was, you need a cleansing a day-by-day -day cleansing. And this is a judgment of yourself. Is there anybody here that knows you need a judgment, need a cleansing? Then go directly to Jesus in your heart. You see, you travel to Jesus by the speed of thought, just like you're going to an eternity. You don't have to beg and beg and beg. You just have to thank, Lord, I've sinned. 
I'm sorry. I ask you to cleanse me. And be willing enough to turn away from it and go on. Pick up the broken pieces and get going again. God takes no profit in seeing a Christian get sold down, discouraged, and defeated about his own sins, that he just quits. I've talked to people who say, well, I used to be a Christian. I tried and I, I, it didn't work for me. They didn't try. Or maybe they did try and that was the problem. They didn't trust. Christianity is a faith way. It is not even a religion. It is a faith way. Religion is man trying to work to heaven to get to God. Faith is God coming into our lives and granting us the faith to believe him. Do we have that faith tonight? Let every man examine himself. May we pray. Our Father, as we come to this appointed time to observe the supper of the Lord, to remember the body and the blood of Jesus until he comes again, looking back to Calvary and looking forward to the glorious second coming, Give us a reverent heart, a heart that is cleansed deep within our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. What page is that song? 57. Page 57. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. This is God's invitation. <clears throat> As we sing this, there may be some who just like to come to the altar and pray, kneel and pray. May there's some who need to recommit their lives to Christ. Maybe there's somebody here tonight who has never been saved. And you're willing to come to Jesus and trust him as your savior. Will you do it? While we sing and while we pray, will you step out for Christ?